Welcome to the Supported Living Property Podcast with your host, me, Lisa Brown, the place to learn about supported living property investing. I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. I love finding and interviewing interesting guests for you, and I love the feedback I get from listeners telling me how much they enjoy the show. If you haven't already, I'd be really grateful if you could leave a five-star review and tell people about the podcast. That way more people can discover it and listen to these conversations too. In this fascinating episode, Simon Jarrett helps us understand the history of supported living and how this shapes current practice. Simon challenges us to learn from how people with learning disabilities were supported in the 18th century and suggests this could be a model for current service provision. Hi, Simon. It's great to have you here today. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you, Lisa. And it's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you. I'm good. Um, I'm really interested in this topic and I'm really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say about things. For people who don't know you, do you want to introduce yourself, Simon? Uh, Okay. well, I'm someone that has um, worked with and supported and been alongside people with learning disabilities for most of my working life. Um, I started out as a um, a support worker many years ago and I was even a nursing assistant in a long stay mental handicap hospital for a few memorable months. Um, and then um, later in my career, I became very interested in the history of people with learning disabilities. I wrote a book about that history which came out in 2020 uh, and I'm the editor of a magazine called uh, Community Living which is the only sort of UK-wide print and online magazine about learning disability and we campaign for uh, equal citizenship for people with learning disabilities. Absolutely and that it's obviously an important publication it covers lots of really interesting stuff doesn't it so if, if people are and in, you wrote a great article for it about uh, your work which we were really <laughs> pleased with and which went down uh, very well with the readers. <laughs> oh thank you that's very kind it was yeah it was great to be able to to talk to people about what we do as well so thank you Simon but um, now obviously you mentioned your book and and I think that's one of the, the subjects I think is really interesting to talk about with you today do you want to tell us a little bit more about it what's it called and where people can find it and and then we'll talk about the content a bit. Sure yeah Uh, well the book is called um, Those They Called Idiots. Uh, It's the idea of the disabled mind from 1700 to the present day and it's basically a sort of uh, history of the last 300 years or so of um, people with learning disabilities. Um, It's published by Reaction Books and that's Reaction spelt with a K. You can get it from them but you can also get it from Uh, Amazon or any other online um, retailers Um, so we'll we'll add a link to the show notes so people can find it as well Simon so yeah so so tell us about it tell us about the origins and history I guess because we're looking at this from supported living which is obviously a fairly new concept really isn't it so when you're looking back over history that where where does it come from what what, where's the background yeah well it's interesting it's it's sort of a lot of the concepts we have today we think of as as new concepts but one one of the things I argued in in the book was I I went back further than most histories of learning disability go. So a lot of these histories 
start in the 19th century with the big asylums which a lot of people know about that people who were known you know at the time by their very offensive what's become the very offensive term of idiots were were put you know idiots and lunatics were taken out of communities and put into these long-stay asylums which were stuck in the middle of nowhere in rural areas where they were expected to spend the rest of their lives and they were kept apart from mainstream society but the question i ask in my book is um where were people before that because obviously there were many centuries um before that and what i argue in the book is that actually in the in the time before the asylum era which began in the middle of the 19th century really in the in the 1840s 1850s um actually to my surprise and many people's surprise when you start to research this is that people with learning disabilities even though known as idiots at the time were very integrated into and accepted in society many of them had jobs all of them lived in their communities they didn't live in institutions because there weren't the institutions at the time and local communities found a way of accepting them um into their networks family networks neighborhood networks and and so on so we we all say that care in the community which began in the 1980s when the long-stay hospitals uh began to be closed down and people moved back into the community that this is a new concept that we've invented and supported living and supported employment and all the rest of it I actually argue in the book that these things happen very naturally um before the 19th century and we can learn a lot from how previous communities um manage this yeah okay it makes it's perfect sense doesn't it absolutely what do you think we can learn from that then simon what what do you think were the, the key things as you i guess before we get to that sorry it must be quite hard trying to find the history of these aren't big famous people i'm guessing who were yeah, yeah. you know on the front pages of local of, of papers or being written about in books or so yeah, it must yeah. be quite a hard history to track down um, yeah, and a lot of people said to me when I began this history, well, you're just not going to find it because these people couldn't read and write, you know, they left no record, they didn't become famous or anything like that. And there was this dangerous assumption, therefore, that people made that when before people lived in the asylums and the institutions they were badly treated they said well they must have been kept in chains you know they must have been uh, hidden away in attics or cellars and, and and blah 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 but they had no um factual basis for assuming that so i decided to look in the sources of everyday life really and i looked at things like the jokes that people told in the 18th century which included uh, people with learning disabilities about the slang that was used to describe people but i also looked at things like criminal court cases in the in the old bailey of people for sort of minor thefts and things like that and found lots of defendants who'd been described as um, uh, idiots or imbeciles or or whatever and also civil court cases which were about people's inheritance and uh, whether they could manage their own property and whether they could leave a will and so on and so all of this gives an insight actually you see how people are spoken about um, uh, and um, how they're viewed and perceived um, by society even things like religious sermons which were preached in the open air you know people had a lot to say about this group of people that they they, they called so-called idiots so actually there was an enormous amount of information i looked at caricature and art as well and you know you can see it all there 
Oh, fantastic. Okay, that makes perfect sense. So, so the lessons that you think, you know, are applicable from what you learned from land would be really interesting for people, I think, looking at this in a modern context. Yeah, yeah. I think the overriding thing that comes out of this is that we, we have a view that somehow people with learning disabilities belong to institutions or specialist provision. They need specialist care and you know they they can't survive in the community without that i think that's very much a legacy of 19th century thinking which argued that this was the case and 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 they argued look these people haven't survived in the community they don't do well in the community that's why we need to set up these institutions which simply wasn't true you know um but that was the argument and i think we still buy that argument so i think the overriding thing that comes out for me is that the natural place for people with learning disabilities to live is the community it's not the institution so for many centuries that is what they have done um for 140 150 years that wasn't what happened they were put off into institutions but that's the exception you know the norm is that people have lived in the community and i think we have to throw off this opinion that actually it's really hard for people to live in the community it's not if communities learn to accept people and find ways of accommodating them as they did in the past and why do you think there was that switch then suddenly from the community sort of you're talking about mid 19th century suddenly everyone went actually these individuals need to be in institutions why did that suddenly come around could you could you trace that to what happened or yeah and i i explore this in 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 the book i think it 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 it's quite complicated but what people often say is that it was the um industrial revolution you know that when people moved to towns and there were big factory systems rather than people working from home it's changed i actually argue that wasn't the case because i argue that there is no reason at all why most people with learning disabilities can't work and that was certainly the case you know before the industrial revolution and you know what was the first thing that was done to people when they were put into these long asylums well they were they were put into work they worked on the farms they worked in the laundry they even helped on the wards you know um so i don't think it's because um people can't fit into a modern work-based system but i i i think what happened was that in earlier times there was a greater tolerance of difference actually and i think that was because there were small communities there wasn't a big state that sort of sorted out problems and everything so communities had to find solutions for themselves and so this made um in a strange way communities from the 18th century and before which we often think of very difficult places and very tough places to live in sort of more inclusive than many of our communities are today so they'd say right we've got this person living with us how are we going to adapt ourselves to to him and her um what sort of job is this person going to be able to do how are they going to be able to live with their family can everyone in the neighborhood make look out for them and make sure they're okay and you you, you saw this in the in the trials at the old bailey where lots of people from the neighborhood and family would turn up and stick up for people and say okay he was stupid he stole something from the shop but he's a good lad and he's a reliable worker and we'll look after him if you if you uh, don't hang him you know if you if you acquit him and more often than not the judge and jury would would acquit the person on on that basis i think what changed in the 19th century um 
I think there were changes in thinking. Um, everybody in Britain got very freaked out by the French Revolution. Um, so some people wanted the revolution to come over over here um, and other people were terrified that the revolution would come over here. And so the, the revolutionaries, I think, they had this idea of creating a new perfect world in which everybody was perfect and the working man, as it was, you know, um, be became um, a, a powerful, perfect figure. Now, there was no place in that vision of the world for people who were disabled. It was a sort of utopia in which nobody's ill, nobody's disabled, everybody's OK. So they didn't fit into that idea. And then people on the right who were against the revolution um, sort of became very suspicious of outsiders and anybody who was different and wanted people to conform um, and be uh, contributing and responsible members of society. So from both sides, the right and the left, really, if you like, I think people with learning disabilities came under threat and were seen as not fitting in anymore. And the state got bigger and the state started, you know, providing solutions to what were seen as as problems. So, um, you know, I argue in the book that it was these changes in thinking, really, that ended up with people being carted off into asylums. And then, as you say, that kind of that lasted for what you're saying about 140 years, something like that. So a long yeah. time that, you know, that yeah. thinking lasted. Yeah. Why the change? What do you think drove the change away again back into the care in the community concept? OK, well, I mean, the the, the care in the community move began really um, in a practical way physically in the late 1980s and then through the, the 1990s and I was around working in that time and working with people who'd moved out of hospitals were moving out of hospitals back into the community after sometimes 50 60 years you know living in these um, hospitals now I think a number of factors contributed to it um, one was there had been a whole series of scandals in in hospitals in the 1950s 60s and 70s very big scandal at Ely Hospital. Um, there was a, scandals at St Lawrence's Hospital in 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 Caterham, and and many one after the other. You're talking um, about kind of abuse situations. Abuse scandals. Cards. So yeah. um, some quite often exposed by um, television. You know, of people being terribly treated, um, physically abused, having their money stolen from them, just enormously exploited and abused in these environments which had become very isolated and very corrupt so there were a number of government inquiries um, and I think rights groups started saying what are we doing you know locking all these people up in um, in uh, long-stay hospitals and reports started coming out so in the 70s and 80s there were things like better lives for mentally handicapped people that the language changes all the time you know um, and then another report in the 1980s called an ordinary life and the argument was why are we doing this to people why can't they just come and live uh, an ordinary life in the community and all of this fed into the move but the unlikely um, person who made it all happen who got people out of hospitals and back into the community was Margaret Thatcher <laughs> so there was um, the thinking in the Conservative government at the time was that um, as well as being bad places because of all these scandals but hospitals were um, uneconomic um, and that it was a ridiculous way to deal 
both with people with learning disabilities and people with mental health problems. So there was this desire to integrate people into uh, health services in the community and, uh, and, and other community services. And, and that's been very much kind of driven the, the current thinking, isn't it, around being people, being part of a community um, and the driver for that. Now, obviously, we've not got it all right, have we? There are still no. sadly a lot of people who are in long term institutional sort of settings. I think they're probably not, you know, like they were then, like huge, huge, great Victorian buildings with hundreds and hundreds of people <clears> in. But um, yeah. there are still issues, aren't there, today? There are. Um, there's a there's a lot of concern, which which people I, I, I've no doubt will have seen in um, newspaper and television reports, uh, in particular about what are known as assessment and treatment units, and these have sort of started in in a way that's concerning quite a lot of us to um, sort of replicate really what was happening in the uh, institutions at the end of of last century. So quite. Uh, closed and quite abusive environments which it's very difficult for people to get out of once they've gone into so the idea of assessment and treatment centers is that a person is sent in to be assessed and treated if they have behavior difficulties or adaptation problems or you know severe mental health problems or whatever and that after that period of treatment and assessment they come out into an appropriate supported setting in the community um, but as people might have seen from recent reports we've had people staying for as long as 20 years in some of these environments and there has been lots of abuses the most famous or infamous um, being Winterbourne View which was exposed in a, a panorama um, a program about 10 years ago or so where we saw all the horrible treatment uh, really awful physical abuse, dehumanizing treatments of people, um, which we were seeing in these documentaries back in the 1970s and 80s, you know. So so we're very concerned about that. Um, we're also very concerned, I think, that um, we've had Care in the community has been a success. I need to say that, first of all. It's been a huge success compared to what happened. But, you know, nothing is ever perfect. And we do worry that some people are living in their communities but they're not really part of their communities you know they they live in very small settings but even a very small setting can become institutional and because of lack of staffing or lack of interest from staff or whatever people are not really getting out and being part of their communities they're they're, they're just living somewhere but really quite isolated so there are problems still to deal with what would you say are your key kind of lessons, things that should be taken away from from the things that you learned looking at the like, you know, looking at this all through the, the telescope of time, I guess. Yeah. What would you say your key learnings for people, you know, who are perhaps working in this sector now who are thinking, well, you know, what, what's it? Why is this relevant to me? What do I need to think about now? Yeah. Well, I, I think what we need to, we're, we're often asking, or oh, what, what do people with learning disabilities want? And, you know, um, what is the best thing for people with learning disabilities and so on? And if we listen to people, if we listen to any survey that has been done of people with learning disabilities, actually what they want is pretty much identical to what everybody else wants. They want a good place to live where they feel safe and protected. They want a job, although unemployment is massively high, 94% amongst people with learning disabilities. Most people 
want a job and most people are capable of doing a job as well uh, and they want uh, contact with friends and family and a social life good transport blah 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 all the things that any of us would say if we were asked you know what what do you want from life so i think we have to remember that this is a group of people that are not alien to the rest of us and don't have completely different aspirations to the rest of us they have the same aspirations and i think our, our job is to support people um, to do these things yeah. and i think this is why supported living is really important because people want to live in their own homes and live their own lives and um, feel safe and, and, and secure in in doing that so the more we can move away from larger institutional uh, even small institutional settings um, the better and just give people the chance to live their own lives in the 1980s we had a report which was called an ordinary life and it was all about why people with learning disabilities should read and uh, lead an ordinary life you might ask yourself well why do we have to ask that question doesn't everybody have the right to to lead an ordinary life but the past <laughs> makes that an issue because mm -hmm. uh, you know the whole history has made it very difficult for people to be accepted as people living an ordinary life. So I think the work you're doing and many other people are doing in supported living is absolutely essential in, uh, if you like, what I would say is taking us back to the 18th century and uh, having you know integrated communities in which people can feel comfortable and accepted. Uh, yeah, it, it's really fascinating to be able to look back that far and see how how, you know, people were just part of their own communities and, and how, you know, and we need to be thinking how we can shape that and make that happen again. And I guess there's a big societal change that needs to happen around people accepting individuals and seeing individuals as themselves, yeah. rather than being scared or threatened by people, which I think is sometimes a, a perception, isn't it? You know, that, that's that's absolutely it. And I think that the, the, the problem has been that we expect people to adapt to our society in order to be able to be a part of it if they're a bit different. And really what society and communities need to do is adapt themselves you know and say right these are the people who live in our community how can we change ourselves adapt ourselves so that everybody can be a part of it and feel feel comfortable in it and I, I think that's the task we have and, and, I, and I think you know we have that responsibility really um, for, for people to be able to feel um, accepted and part of things Thank you, Simon. It's been really great chatting to you today. Thank you. I'll put your um, the link to the book, like I said, in the show notes if Thank people you. want to get hold of that and also the link to the magazine if people want to, to get in contact with you there. Right. So, Thank you, Simon. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks very much, Lisa. Thanks.